I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. Welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. Woo! Woo, woo, woo! Happy you're here. Thank you for joining us. I had no other choice. (laughs) Oh, you're talking to them. Yeah, we're happy you're here. (laughs) I'm happy you're here too. Thanks. You're welcome. And Shannon gave me jam. I did. I caught one of the jam advent calendars um, and then realized I had two in it. Too, too, too many, many things choices. of jam. The choice paralysis of as much jam as you – like 25 yeah. little mini jars of jam. Like they're, they're not very like cute, big, but, but they're like – it's a lot. It is. Also, I think I'm realizing that if I have a choice, I'll just take a buttered carb rather yeah. than putting jam on it. Like we've expressed before, a plain piece of white bread – Sourdough? Oh. With butter spread – all over it. Shannon is currently dancing in ecstasy right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> so good. Some salted butter. Oh, if you want to splurge and get the Kerrygold, like the Irish butter. Oh. Woohoo! I don't need caviar. Keep your gold flake, whatever, <laughs> rich people stuff, truffle oil. Gross. Just some Give me fresh golden nuggets of <sighs> Irish, <sighs> Irish butter. Some Irish butter on some sourdough bread. I saw a TikTok that I sent to Rex, but it was this couple and one of them is standing behind her and he's like, okay, so we should, we should Irish goodbye. And she's like, I, I don't know if I can. It's okay. We can. And she was like, okay, good night, everyone. <laughs> and he's like, there's not an Irish goodbye. Oh, the <laughs> opposite. Like, I would definitely do something like that if I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it's oh, like, for uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I don't. I can try. Semi-related. But it makes me laugh. I've trained or I've introduced into the vocabulary of my friends, uh, Rebecca and Strunk, on Marco Polo, the term New Jersey goodbye, <laughs> um, which I don't even know is a thing. I It's something I say uh, in relation to my family mm-hmm. who are Irish but do not Irish goodbye. No. They New Jersey goodbye, which means it takes 45 minutes to leave because you go to say goodbye and then someone talks to you even though you've been in town for the last five days then they decide is the moment they have to talk to you about a thing yeah so you don't actually get to leave yep so when we're on marco polo they'll be telling a story and they'll be like okay new jersey goodbye i've i've tried to say bye like three different times and it makes it warms my little heart when they say that i was like that's hilarious that you all say that um how do you leave your family functions (laughs) because That's about the same as we do. Yeah. The New Jersey goodbye. Well, and I feel like when, like when I'm down with you all visiting your parents in Williamsburg, like we have to, we plan in an extra like 35 to 45 minutes of like, oh yeah, when we start to attempt to leave and when we actually hit the road. Yeah. We tell, we tell my brother and my father a different time than when we actually are supposed to leave. And even so, we leave maybe 45 minutes after the actual time we're supposed to leave. So it's just, it it, it happens. Indeed. But we hope you don't leave. We hope you stay. And in fact, we hope you go to our website, thispodcastdoesnexist.com. Dot com. To find all of our episodes. You can find some of our transcripts. You can find a link to send us a note. You can play a bingo card and you find our social media handles. Yeah. Everything you could ever want. Thanks, friend. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. We should hop into the mystery of today. I should also express that we're two best friends who like to talk about anything unsolved. Oh, yeah. 
Um, if you're new here. If you're new. If you're not new, you know the spiel. But if you are new, we like to talk about the ooky, the spooky, the all-around, no-answer bits of life. And we tell each other about it. So today, I'm going to tell Shannon, as well as all of you, about the mystery of room 1046. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about this, but That's I, okay. can I plug a book real quick? Absolutely. Is it about a mysterious room? Yeah, it's called The Enigma of Room 622. I'd say it was the exact same cadence. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, this author goes to this Swiss ski chalet place, and he's staying in room like 623 okay. or something, and he meets this woman when they're both smoking on each of their individual balconies mm-hmm. and they talk about how the fact that the room next to his is labeled as like 621B and then his room is 620. So they're like 621, 621B, 623. So clearly they like renamed 622. Oh. But when they go to like the hotel, you know, the yeah. bellhop yeah. person, they, they it's a KG answer. And it's like a story within a story. Because, like, he has writer's block, so the the woman is like, we should investigate it, but you should write a novel about it. And it's very – it's a chonky book. It's, like, 500-plus pages, but it was very good. Ooh. So, highly recommend. And it was – it's in translation. It's originally published in French. So, fun. If you're looking for some mystery, I already told Mimi that I can't wait till it comes out in paperback because she doesn't read hardcovers. That's so, I, I have to wait. It's easier to send her paperbacks anyway. Less yeah, they're well. She's like my hands that's can't fair. hold paper or uh, hardcovers, and I was like, "That's fair, Mimi. You you are in your nineties, so yeah." Anyway, write your grandparent a card or a or a phone call. Give him a phone call. Mine texts now. That's really exciting. It's really touch and go whether or not she responds to me, but yeah, Nani doesn't respond, and then whenever Pampa neither picks does her up, mother. Yeah, whenever Pampa picks up the phone, it's very funny because he, he my grandfather calls me girl. And it's not as if he doesn't know who I am. Right. <laughs> he, he he just calls me girl. And it makes me very – it's very sweet. But any time that I, I, you know, call him and I say, hey, Pampa, it's Emma, he goes, girl, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm good, Pamps. How are you? And he, he's on the phone for as little time as he possibly can be. He will only stay on the line for maybe about a minute before he's like, where's your grandmother? Here. Here's the phone. Love you. Bye. Like, he cannot stand being That's so on the funny. phone. funny. Doesn't your so. dad do that, too? My dad, with his ADHD, has become a lot better about – not getting too distracted because okay. I now only FaceTime him. So oh. he has no ability to have that phone to his head as well as walking around doing through the world. Else. Yeah. So like he <laughs> has, still has, he still walks around, but like he has to pay attention to his phone. So it's like right. I can't have actual conversations with him. So uh, I've, I've figured it, I've cracked the code for my father. Excellent. Um, and he gets excited every time I call him. He's like, Aww. oh, how are you? Yeah. So anyway, call a loved one. Contact a loved one today. Yeah. Let them know you love them, and they probably will reciprocate. <laughs> I mean, I hope. I hope so, too. <laughs> but maybe don't call your crush. Call your mom first. Oh, <laughs> like, man. <laughs> anyway, the mystery of room 1046. Right. The real reason we're here. Yeah. So, even with mountains of evidence still on file... What really happened in room 1046 of President Hotel remains a mystery. So, tiny bit of background, like minimal. 
Built in 1926 during a construction boom, the President Hotel was an impressive building serving the Power and Light District of Kansas City, Missouri, and remains the only hotel in the area to this day. In in that area. Well, you know what they say. Everything's up to date in Kansas Kansas City. City. The entire time. Every time I saw it, because Missouri's, like, state initials is Mm M-O. It's like, all I can think of is (laughs) Kansas City Mo. And I'm like, oh my god. I can't write that. <laughs> uh, shout out to Jesse and Elizabeth, our friends. Yeah. Who live in Kansas City. Kansas City Mo. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. They probably have seen this hotel. Um, it was the headquarters for the Republican National Convention in 1928, Boo. where Herbert Hoover was nominated for president and attracted entertainers to its drum room lounge, like Benny Goodman and his band, Frank Sinatra, and Marilyn May, a popular jazz singer. Despite its society draw, the hotel quickly became known for a murder and the investigation which has yet to produce an answer. It was early afternoon on January 2nd, 1935, when Roland T. Owen checked into the President Hotel. He was remembered by the staff as odd. He gave a Los Angeles address but had no bags with him, regardless of the fact that he was well-dressed under his dark overcoat. He paid for only one night. He was described as dark-haired, white, in his 20s, with a scar on his temple and a cauliflower ear that made those who saw him come to the conclusion that he was probably a boxer or a wrestler. Cauliflower ear is just, I know you know what it is, but it's like, if I can describe it enough, just basically like blown up a little. Your ear is kind of like... It's been smushed enough and then it doesn't heal properly. Yeah, it's very like, it's roughed up. Yeah. It's real rough. He and the bellhop talked politely in the elevator to the 10th floor. Roland told him that he had spent the night before at the Mullenbach Hotel nearby, but that the nightly rate of $5, what would be about $107 today, which makes sense, was too steep. The bellhop led him to room 1046, which at Roland's request was on the inside, overlooking the courtyard rather than the street. So like the the hotel's built like a, with like a courtyard in the middle. So that every room has a window, but not every room looks out the same direction. Mm -hmm. The bellhop watched as Roland took a hairbrush, comb, and toothpaste from his coat pocket and placed them above the sink. Then they both left the room and went back down to the lobby, Randolph going back to his post and Roland leaving the hotel with the door key. Hmm. So he just was like, I'm just going to drop my stuff and we're going to go. Okay. Later in the afternoon, Mary Soptic, one of the hotel maids, went to go clean the room and was surprised by Roland sitting on the bed when she opened the door. She apologized and went to leave, but he said she could go ahead and do her job. She went about her work, noticing some weird vibes. The shades were drawn and the lamp was very dim. She said later that, quote, he was either worried about something or afraid, end quote, it seemed. After cleaning for a few minutes, Roland got up and put his overcoat on. He brushed his hair and left, telling her on the way out to leave the room unlocked as he was expecting friends in a few minutes. She did as he asked and left it unlocked when she was done with her work. She returned around four to deliver fresh towels, but when she opened the door to set them inside, the room was dark. In the light of the hallway, she could see Roland laying on the bed, fully dressed on top of the sheets. She could also see a note on his bedside table that apparently read, quote, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. End quote. 
Hmm. So I want to stop for a second and just address the like door locking thing because it took me a minute to figure out. So all of the hotel staff or like all the hotel staff that are on shift would have access to a key for every single room. Mm -hmm. And then all of the tenants of those rooms would have a key, but the door only locks from the outside. It does not have a lock on the inside. Hmm. So if someone is present in the room, the door is unlocked so wow. that the staff has the ability to go in and clean without having to unlock the door. Because, you know, not not all of them would need to get in, but, like, there was the ability to get in, that kind of thing. So the basic, like, rule of thumb was if the door is locked, then they're out. So mm -hmm. use the key. If the door is unlocked, leave it alone because they're in there. Got it. So it, this is 1935, like... Okay, <laughs> we don't really care about locking our doors, I safety. guess. Safety. Nah, safety schmafety. Who cares? The next morning, January 3rd, Mary again returned to the room to do a normal clean around 10.30 a.m. The door was locked, which would mean to her that Roland would be out. So she opened it with her key and again found Roland sitting in the dark. The phone rang when she stepped into the room, and Roland answered it saying, quote, No, Don, I don't want to eat. I am not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I am not hungry. End quote. While still holding the phone, Roland questioned Mary about her job as she went about the room. He asked if the hotel was residential, meaning there was no fixed time frame for checking in, or you could lease like you would an apartment, and if she was responsible for the entire floor. There doesn't seem to be a clear answer from Mary about how she responded to these questions, but after he complained again about the other hotel's high rates, she finished her cleaning and left the room. Again, like she always did, Mary returned at 4 p.m. with fresh towels to replace the ones she had taken during her clean in the morning, so that was part of her routine. Every day, 10.30, she would go clean this room. Every day at 4, she would bring fresh towels. That was the routine. No lunchtime showers at this hotel. No, apparently not. When Just she, dry. When she approached the door, though, she heard two men talking, so she knocked. A man's voice, loud and deep and not what she would have described as Roland's, asked who it was. She replied that she was bringing fresh towels, and the voice responded with, quote, We don't need any, end quote. There are no towels in the room, but Mary left it alone and went about her work. Around 11 p.m., a city worker was driving his car on 13th Street when he saw a man dressed only in an undershirt, pants, and shoes running into the path of his car and flagging him down. When the driver, Robert Lane, stopped, the man apologized, saying that he thought Lane was a taxi. He asked Lane if he would be willing to take him somewhere he could find a taxi, and Lane obliged, saying, quote, you look as if you've been in it bad, end quote. The man apparently swore he was going to kill someone tomorrow. Lane also noticed that the man was cupping his arm against a deep scratch as if to staunch a pretty bad wound. Hmm. At a nearby intersection, Lane let the man out where taxi drivers often waited for fares. The man thanked him and got out, honking the horn on the taxi to, drive, to draw a driver away from his restaurant, and Lane drove away. So, like, there would be a horn next to the mirror that oh. they would honk. And I guess he went over and honked the one on empty taxi to call the driver in from or out from the uh, restaurant he was in. The hotel was also having an interesting night, as there was a party loudly happening in room 1055, a few doors down from Roland's. 
The elevator operator, Charles Blocker, began his shift at midnight and reported that it was pretty busy until about 1.30 a.m., when it was only the loud party left making a ruckus. He remembered one guest in particular, a woman who was assumed to be a sex worker because she had been there on multiple occasions visiting different men in their rooms. She came into the elevator that night and asked to be taken to room 1026. Five minutes after he dropped her there, the elevator was called to the 10th floor again, and she asked him about another room on the 10th floor, as her client wasn't in room 1046, like he said he would be. She'd stayed on the floor, since she saw that there was a light coming through the transom window of room 1024, and that could be him. So maybe she just didn't have the right Mm. number in her head. It wasn't until half an hour later that the elevator was called again to the 10th floor. The woman was waiting there, and he took her back down to the lobby. An hour later, the woman came back to the elevator with a man who Blocker didn't recognize, and they got out at the 9th floor. At 4.15 a.m., the woman left the hotel, and 15 minutes later, the man did as well, telling Blocker in the elevator he couldn't sleep and just needed a walk. At 7 a.m. on January 4th, Della Ferguson, a new switchboard operator for the hotel, came on her shift. She was about to make a requested wake-up call for room 1046 when she saw the light on the switchboard that indicated that the phone in room 1046 was off the hook. The bellhop, Rudolph, was on shift again and went to give both the wake-up call in person and let Roland know his phone was off the hook. The door was locked, and there was a do not disturb sign on the doorknob. So apparently do not disturb signs were in use at this point. I was surprised to learn that. Hmm. After several loud knocks, a voice from inside told him to come in. Another few loud knocks, and the voice said to turn on the lights. Finally, with no way to get in, since Rudolph didn't have the key, he shouted through the door to hang up the phone and left. Rudolph told Della that the guest in room 1046 was more than likely drunk and just had to wait another hour to make the wake-up call. When 8.30 rolled around, the phone had still not been put on its receiver. Another bellhop, Harold Pike, brought the key with him upstairs and let himself into room 1046. He found Roland laying on the bed, naked in the dark, apparently drunk. The light from the hallway showed some dark spots on the bed, but Harold decided not to disturb the guest as much as possible and just fix the issue at hand. Without turning on the room light, Harold picked up the phone that had been knocked off its stand and righted everything, leaving the room. Around 10.30 a.m., the next operator on shift noticed that the phone in room 1046 was again off the hook. Rudolph took his, this task again and went back up to see what was going on. The do not disturb sign was still on the knob, and while the door was locked, he had the key this time and let himself in after his knocks went unanswered. He opened the door and found Roland on his knees and elbows, his head bloody. Rudolph turned on the light and put the phone back on the hook, suddenly noticing the blood on the walls and the ceiling of the bedroom and bathroom, as well as blood on the bed itself. So that's what the dark pools were, because Pike assumed that it was like- On the ceiling? Yeah. There's a, lot, there's a lot of blood in this room. But, like, Pike assumed that the dark spots on the bed were like, oh, he's pissed himself. All right, well, I'm not made. I'm not going to deal with this. Rudolph ran downstairs for help and returned with the assistant manager, but when they tried to open the door again, it would only open about six inches, since Roland had fallen against it. They eventually were able to get in and get him upright. Roland had been bound with a cord around his neck, wrists, and ankles. He had been noticeably stabbed in the chest and hit on the head badly enough to fracture his skull. 
The assistant manager called the police and Dr. Harold Flanders from Kansas City General Hospital, and he arrived when the police did. Dr. Flanders cut the cords away from Roland and asked who had done this. Roland replied, quote, nobody, end quote. He was asked what caused the injuries then, and Roland said he had fallen and hidden his head on the bathtub. He was asked if he was trying to kill himself, and he said no, just before he lost consciousness. He was swiftly taken to the hospital where he arrived comatose, dying just after midnight, January 5th, 1935. Aww. Which is super sad. The Kansas City Police Department immediately started an investigation, questioning guests in nearby rooms, staff, and trying to find any physical evidence that would lead to murderer or motive. One woman they questioned was Jean Owen, who had the room right next to Roland. She said that she heard a commotion in the night. Quote, I heard a lot of noise which sounded like it was on the same floor and consisted largely of men and women talking loudly and cursing. When the noise continued, I was about to call the desk clerk but decided not to. End quote. But remember, there was a party on this floor the mm -hmm. same night. So that was probably what she was hearing. They searched room 1046, but it really was what they didn't find that stuck out to them. The only thing they found of Roland's was the tag of a necktie that said it had been made by a New Jersey company. There were no clothes, nothing in the closets or drawers, and the soap and shampoo that were provided in every room for the hotel were missing as well. I mean, I steal them, but yeah. it's weird to have him still in the room and they're gone. They did find a hairpin, a safety pin, an unsmoked cigarette, and a full bottle of diluted sulfuric acid. The two glasses provided to the room were still there, but one was on a shelf the other missing a piece and sitting in the sink. There were no knives to explain the stab wounds to his chest, which the autopsy showed had punctured his lung, and the cord that had been cut from him laid in the bathroom. Suicide was quickly dismissed as a possible cause of death. Because there's no way. They were, like, immediately, there's no way that this man did this to himself. Mm -hmm. The autopsy performed determined that Roland had died from his severe wounds, and Dr. Flanders examined the room and said he had likely been attacked between four and five in the morning on january 4th based on the drying pattern of the blood this would be well before anyone noticed the phone off the hook four fingerprints were found on the room's phone stand so there was like a glass tabletop that the room's phone sat on they couldn't be matched to roland or any of the hotel staff who had entered the room that morning but the police believed that they were those of a woman as they were very small and slender the next day, the city newspapers printed the story on the front page. Detective Johnson, the officer on the case, told the media, quote, there is no doubt that someone else is mixed up in this, end quote. Regardless of the identity of the murderer, the identity of the victim was soon also a mystery to everyone. <laughs> Shannon just didn't turn to camera, dun dun dun, face. <laughs> KCPD contacted the LAPD to notify Roland T. Owens' next of kin that he had passed because he had provided a Los Angeles address. Oh, okay. The LAPD said they had no record of anyone living under that name in California at the time. The dead man's fingerprints were sent to the Bureau of, of Investigation, which is now the FBI, to see if they had a match for the prints in their collection, but came up short, which makes sense because they were only fingerprinting mostly criminals and stuff like that, so... Well, and they had to manually look through yeah. all of them. <laughs> and I can't imagine that being easy at all. 
golly, that would make my brain hurt. I don't want to think what about that. What poor intern had to, like... I know. <laughs> do the preliminary pass-through. Yeah. Now that they knew the name was an alias, the police stretched their search, and the January 6th newspapers printed the, that information was needed. Tips started to roll in. A woman called the hotel to ask what the murdered man looked like. When given the description, she said that she knew him. He lived in Clinton, Missouri, 50 miles east of Kansas City. This seemed to be the dead end, though, as they couldn't determine who the caller was or the actual name of the dead man. Or the man that she claimed she knew. Other members of the public went to the funeral home where the body was laid out to try and identify him. Robert Lane, the driver who had picked up a roughed-up-looking man, went to see the body and told police that this was the man he had picked up, gash on his arm and all. The police weren't as sure, as the hotel staff did not report seeing him leave the hotel the night of the 3rd, morning of the 4th. There was another report of him outside the hotel as well, with two women at several liquor spots on 12th Street, not far from where Lane had picked him up. So, it was weird the way that they reported this, where it was like, Mr. Lane's claim is, you know, okay, fine, we don't necessarily believe it because he didn't leave the hotel, but then... We also know for sure that he was seen with these mm. two women on this. So it was it was definitely that there were conflicting reports mm -hmm. from probably newspapers and, it, you know, people are collecting this information and it gets, it gets conflated. So those were the two reports of him outside of the hotel. Mm -hmm. So obviously, even if someone didn't see him leave, there are a lot of people in this hotel. Right. There's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. You're not watching every single person leave. So. Right. The it's not like you have CCTV. Is, yeah. And I mean, maybe the elevator person on call, because, you know, there's an elevator operator. Right. And the person who's the elevator operator at the time that he left, maybe he wasn't questioned because it wasn't within the time frame that they were thinking right. of. So, or maybe he took the stairs. Or maybe he took the stairs. He was getting his steps <laughs> in. The rest of the country picked up the story and ran with it, leading to more tips for the KCPD. Most were able to be eliminated. People would call in and they'd be like, I know it's him. And they'd go and investigate it. And they're like, eh, it's definitely not. The police checked at the hotel that the man had mentioned was too high priced for his taste nearby. But no Roland T. Owen had checked in. There was a man matching the description given, however, including the scar on his head. Because remember, he has like a scar on his temple. Who gave the name Eugene K. Scott with a Los Angeles address. And he requested an interior room. This name didn't provide an answer from the LAPD either. And at this point, I'm a little angry at the fact that they didn't check the address. Mm -hmm. Or if they did, it's not mentioned anywhere. Like, whose address is that? Yeah. Like, like was it his grandmother or someone that or like, has a different name, but the address could... Yeah. Or is it of an apartment building where you can have, like, an actual idea of, oh, this guy stayed here. Like, that feels more like a solid thing if he gave... That's the two consistent things that he gave. Right. Was this... I don't know if it was the same address, but it was both a Los Angeles address. Those feel like things that you can... Check. Check. Yeah. But it doesn't say whether or not they did. And it that makes me angry. I'm like... Well, especially if he's lying about his name, then, like, okay, so the LAPD doesn't have a record of someone by that name living yeah. in the state. But it's like, well, that's not his real name, so... And property is much more easy to track down than people. Let's check out the other piece of information we have. Yeah. So that bothers me. But, you know, 1935. 
There were a few mistaken identifications, and one man, a wrestling promoter from Arkansas, said the body was of Cecil Warner, who had approached him in December about some wrestling matches. He had referred him to a promoter in Omaha, Nebraska, but the other promoter said he never saw him. So, the interesting thing about this potential identification is that Little Rock, Arkansas, where this man approached this promoter, and Omaha, Nebraska, what sits right in between? Kansas, Kansas City, City Mo. So that would be a like logical way to make your way up that way if mm-hmm. that's what you were going for. Not that I that can that's provable, but still, you can make the logical draw. Leads and coverage dwindled, and eventually the newspapers announced on March 3rd that the body would be buried in a potter's field the next day. March 4th, a call came into the funeral home from a man asking the funeral to be delayed so that he could send money for a grave and service at Memorial Park Cemetery in Kansas City, Kansas. He said he should be buried near his sister. The funeral director warned the caller that he would be telling police about this encounter, and the caller said that didn't bother him. So, uh, what? what the fuck? When the funeral director asked why the man was killed, the caller said that the dead man had an affair with one woman while he was engaged to marry another. The caller and the two women had arranged to see him at the President Hotel so that they could exact revenge. Quote, cheaters usually get what's coming to them. End quote. And then the caller hung up. Oh. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Funeral director was like, I feel like this money's never going to come in, but okay. The request to postpone the service was granted, and on March 23rd, the funeral home received an envelope with $25, which is around $550 today, wrapped in newspaper with no return address. Two additional envelopes arrived at a local florist, each with $5 in them for an arrangement of 13 roses for the grave after a similar call was made. Also included was a note in odd handwriting, reading, quote, love forever, Louise, end quote. Jeez. Jeez, mm, Louise. Louise. The calls to both businesses apparently came from payphones. I don't know how they determined that in 1935, but apparently that's the case. Who, who even knows how a landline works? Mm, not me. Not us. We were literally having that conversation yesterday. <laughs> Office phones are intimidating. They are so intimidating. How do you transfer a call? We don't don't know. know. I don't know what my extension is. Don't ask me that. I am not the cardiologist. Nope. The funeral was held soon after, with only police detectives and an officiating minister in attendance. Mm -hmm. Other detectives posed as grave diggers a few days after the funeral to see if anyone came to pay respects, and none ever came. This is a stupid name for this. It's not my fault. A woman called the Kansas City Journal-Post's office a few days after the funeral to let them know that their previous story that the unknown man was buried in a potter's field was incorrect, and the funeral home and florist would corroborate. When asked to identify herself and why she was so earnest that they get the story right, she said, quote, Never mind. I know what I'm talking about. He got into a jam. End quote. And hung up. He got into a jam. He got into a jam. Like the orange cinnamon jam that I have sitting upstairs. <laughs> the rest of the country continued to circulate images of the dead man in the hope of finding his family. And luckily, it seems they did. Oh. 
1936, a friend of Ruby Ogletree in Birmingham, Alabama, showed her an article about the case, noting that the photo looked a lot like her 17-year-old son, Artemis. 17 years old. Just take that for a second. Artemis Fowl? What are you doing? The family had not seen him since he left to hitchhike to California in April 1934, Mm. though they kept in correspondence with him. Ruby called the KCPD and was able to provide unprompted information about him to confirm that she was right in her assumption. The defining detail was the scar above his ear, which she said was from a childhood accident with some hot grease. So he didn't have any hair growing there, which is why it was noticeable. But Ruby was confused. How could this dead man be her son when she had received three letters from him (gasps) after he's confirmed dead? (gasps) The first one she received was dated early 1935 from Chicago. It raised her suspicions since it was typewritten and Artemis didn't know how to type. It also didn't match his cadence of writing, so it didn't sound like him. Mm. In May, she got another letter saying he was headed to Europe and a special delivery letter just after saying his ship was set to sail that day, both postmarked from New York. Ruby also received a call in August from a man in Memphis, Tennessee, who told her that Artemis had saved his life in a fight, but he was not able to call her himself because he was living in Cairo, where he was married to a very wealthy woman and very happy. He wasn't able to write because he had lost a thumb in the fight, that he saved the caller from. Oh, okay. Yeah. They talked for half an hour, and Ruby recalled the man was odd, speaking wildly, but seemed to know Artemis well. So it was like, she he really did know her son, but he was weird. Mm. She told the police the name the man gave, but the name has never been made public. Mm. So it's one of those things they're probably still holding close to the chest to see if anyone comes up with it, but I'm like, guys, it's been so long. Yeah. It has been forever. The police followed up with steamships and the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, but weren't able to find any evidence of Artemis. A third hotel in Kansas City was found to have another one-night stop from Artemis, where he shared the room with another man. But other than that, they've got nothing. And he didn't use his real name for that one either. Hmm. In 1937, the NYPD arrested a man named Joseph Martin on a murder charge after he killed a man he had shared a room with and stuffed the body in in a trunk to be shipped to Memphis, Tennessee. They found a few aliases of his, one of which was... I thought you were going to say they found some aliens. (laughs) They found some aliens. Like, what? (laughs) If there weren't enough of them in this one. (laughs) They found a few aliases of his, one of which was Donald Kelso. Yeah. I know. It makes me think of that 70s show. The KCPD apparently matched samples of his handwriting to letters written to Ruby Ogletree, but no charges were filed and the case remained open. So I'm not sure what they're matching necessarily, but if these are the letters from New York, that would make sense because that was where he was arrested. The trunk was being sent to Memphis, Tennessee, where the call claimed to be from, but Mm -hmm. that might not necessarily be true. That kind of thing. Weird. He could have been the Don Artemis mentioned in his note and while he was on the phone, but it also could have been someone else's nickname. Like, Mm -hmm. it could have been a nickname for Donna. It could have been a nickname for anything. Or 
It was Donald Duck. Oh my god, it was Donald Duck. He murdered him. I can't do a Donald Duck voice. This is the saddest moment of my life. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Well, the other option what? is Mafia. What the fuck was that? It was me trying to be Donald Duck. What? I got nothing. <laughs> Pampa can do one. It's very good. I should call him and say, hey, Pampa, can you do Donald Duck? Pampa, in a Donald Duck voice, can you say, I didn't kill that man? <laughs> please oh my gosh insert it in later (laughs) the other option potentially especially at this time is mafia Mm -hmm. so because don is like a a title title for the head of the mafia group or whatever Mm -hmm. i'm very bad at this i'm very sorry for any mafia listening (laughs) i'm so sorry if i've insulted you the case was reviewed every few years but eventually it went cold In the early 2000s, John Horner, a local Kansas City historian working for their public library, received a call from someone out of state who said they were helping to inventory belongings from a recently deceased elderly person. They found a shoebox with newspaper clippings inside about the case, as well as something the clippings mentioned sitting inside the box. They didn't mention what it was and hung up. People. What the heck? Say... Say what you mean to say, please. Like, what are you doing? I, why did you even call if all yeah. you're going to do is taunt? Intrigue. Ugh. So, there are a handful of theories, but no apparent motive and no apparent suspects. So, the actual theories are fairly slim. Like, there's, you can have tons of fun with all the speculation, but the mm-hmm. evidence, and there's a lot of it, but the evidence doesn't seem to support all in one Mm -hmm. so it 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 can get a little hairy but the telephone calls could be true about the supposed scandalous affair Mm -hmm. that he had and artemis could have been cheating on his fiance but he's 17 yeah so that seems a little far-fetched and he hasn't told his mama that he's engaged Uh, yeah good southern boy hasn't who's been in like correspondence with his mom yeah whether or not, like, you know, he's saying he is actually where he says he is. Like, maybe he was a liar. Maybe his home life actually wasn't that great. Like, yeah. we don't know, but it still feels weird at 17 for him to be two timing a fiance. Yeah, jeez. Even in 1935. The women's voices, the apparent sex worker and her client arriving just within the window of the time of death to the ninth floor, that they could then use the stairs to get to the tenth floor. After she had already been up on the 10th, potentially scoping things out, and Artemis's own odd behavior makes this whole theory of they get revenge on him interesting. Like, this is, mm-hmm. this is an interesting story that's been constructed. Things seem to fall in line in that regard, especially with the calls saying, we're going to pay for it, here's why we killed him. Yeah. Like, that's... Very distinctive. Also, the fact that you can't lock your room if you're inside. <laughs> I know. Like, what are you supposed to do in that way? I don't. Ugh. But organized crime has been mentioned as a possibility with the graphicness of the attack mm-hmm. and the dawn of it all. Yeah. Like, that would make sense if he had, like, stolen money or he had wronged somebody, mm-hmm. like, in some way. So that would make sense in terms of how he died. Or, like, if he was out with those women 
Yeah, like, maybe just was... having a good time being a teenager, but, like, he hit he was... on the wrong yeah. dame. Exactly. And then they were like, oh, we're going to. Which is also a, a possibility. Get him. And, like, maybe they roughed him up a little bit, and that's why Mr. Lane picked him up. And he was like, I just need to get back to wherever I was. I don't really know where I am. Can you yeah. s- get me somewhere to someone who would know, like, a taxi cab? Right. Like, maybe that's what happened. And then they were like, you know, well, we're not finished with him mm-hmm. and followed him. So there's that possibility. Um, he also could have been killed for any amount of other things. If he was a boxer and he fixed a match. Or. Or. Oh. oh. If he was, like, battling Jack Murdoch <laughs> from Daredevil. Daredevil's dad was a boxer. And he was in debt. But then the mob was like, if you lose this fight, yeah. you and your son will be taken care of for life. But then he's in there. He's he's can't getting help hit. Himself. But he just can't do it. He wants his son to believe in him. So he wins. So then they murder him. It could genuinely be that. Yeah. So like that, that kind of situation, if there was – I mean, during during the 30s, there was no gambling laws mm. in any way. So you could sincerely do whatever you wanted with your money in that capacity. So maybe he fixed a match. Maybe he lost a match on purpose. Mm-hmm. And it was the wrong thing to do. Or the people on the other side who lost a great amount of money we're not happy about it and decided to take it out. Like there, there's so many different possibilities, but because we don't know why he was there or what he was doing. Yeah. Cause he days, didn't have anything with him. Like he didn't have nothing. a bag with boxing gloves or like a flyer for a, you know, a boxing tournament, like nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing. Where's so, his toothpaste from? <laughs> where's it? What is he putting it Which on? Which general store? <laughs> his finger. <laughs> yeah. I've seen Chasing Liberty. Yeah. It's like, I have not. It's a good one. I know. You tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So all we know today is that this man was most likely 17-year-old Artemis Ogletree, and we will never know what actually happened in room 1046. Man. Yeah. The twists and turns in this one, like I was reading, I that's why I like stopped it, because like, the way that I do my notes, I will be reading a source side by side while doing my notes. So I like take the notes and then I go back through and I edit them. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, this is important. I'm going to stick this under this bullet, that kind of thing. I just stopped taking notes so that I could read. (laughs) Because I was like, what is happening? There's so many things happening. Well, you definitely have to read the book that I recommended. I really. It is so, I I was like, what is going on? What? I love a good mystery novel. Oh, it's like, a mystery within a mystery and then at the end you're like wait what yeah excuse me i want to know uh what i would love to know specifically about this one because now we have dna testing coming Mm. back because his mom was never able to see his body and confirm that it was him she saw pictures of the body Uh uh-huh so like the pictures that they took for the autopsy right but they're not very clear this is 1935 like You know, they're being essentially sent to her, so it's hard to determine for her. Yeah. Like, yeah, he has a very distinctive scar on his head. Like, I do know that that is something Mm -hmm. my son had. But there's also the possibility that someone else has a scar like that, or 
they had an injury during mm-hmm. the attack that made it mm-hmm. look like that in the autopsy photos. Yeah. Or it was somebody who was made to look like him. So, like, there's all of that. Like, I mean, the possibility that it's not him is low. Yeah. But I would love to have some kind of confirmation because I'm sure that he has family now. 23 and me. Exactly. I'm sure he has family now that, you know, they'd be able to confirm, yes, this is your family member. Good old Ogletree. Yeah. Ogletree family tree. Boom. Get it going. So, I would love to know that. There was also, like, considering it was 1935, I feel like they did everything that was within their power, Mm -hmm. except for maybe some more investigative work with just paperwork in general, because the whole address shit bugs the shit out of me. I can't... If they did do it, they didn't write it down anywhere that they did it. And I'm like, if you... you Just tell me, and I'll forgive you for that. But, like, at the moment, it doesn't look like you did it. That's the simplest conclusion for me to come to is that's something we should look into whose address is that hmm i don't know it just but that that specifically bugged me i was like guys well not difficult that is the whole premise of this podcast i know why did we do this to ourselves it's your fault Uh, definitively it was your idea (laughs) it was it was my idea i'm just here for the ride for the the goofs for the spooks the ooks the ooks and ookies merps and derps (gasps) i love merp and derp did we did we tell you guys that we made jackets emma made jackets well i made jackets for the two of us that say merp and derp guess who's who she's merp i'm derp (laughs) confirmed confirmed you're welcome world but yeah, that's the, the wow. Mystery. That was Shall a good never one. Be solved. Yeah, I'm mad, was, but it was good. Yeah, you're the you're the kind of mad of like I want it solved. Yeah, I just I'm I'm curious. Yeah, or I want someone to write a book like how what they think happened. Okay, like I would watch like the TV movie of like yeah. I tried to see if there was any movies dramatization dramatizations of this it, there's like you know two unsolved murder or unsolved mysteries episodes about this mm. and buzzfeed buzzfeed unsolved did a uh, episode on this and like countless of other podcasts and stuff like that yeah. but there's no movie adaptation of this and i think it's because there's so many other murders in in hotels that so many. they can base things so off of time. so i'm like ah uh, okay so either i didn't find the movie that this yeah, just is get, based like, on this or like let's get a little timothy shamalama ding dong to me in it and he'd be perfect except he wouldn't have to act at all <laughs> it would all be done in flashbacks oh. <laughs> oh well i don't know if i'd he he doesn't read as a boxer he's rather no, noodly yeah i'm like rather noodly. <laughs> you can tell i'm like oh wow i'm what are what are young actors like? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> who are, I'm here. I'm who here are for all young the men people? Who are actually, dads now. Like they're yeah. much more age appropriate. So, um, are they? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. When once we're almost thirty, the age gap is less yeah, problematic. It's not, as, it's not as weird. Which um, I mean, you know, as long as you're an adult, for the most part, doesn't matter. Yeah, do what you. But do like, what you want to do. No, I literally can't think of a single actor that's like twenty. 
<laughs> Tom Holland. <laughs> he's not. He's not twenty though. He's like twenty three now. Okay, but he yeah, he yeah, reads yeah. seventeen. He continues to play. Yeah, a teenager. But I mean, he the, this dead man read is like in his like twenties. Yeah, they were like he was between twenty and thirty. But I'm I'm guessing that like if he was a bigger dude mm-hmm. in nice clothes. Yeah. They're not going to assume that he's young. A child. A child. Yeah. So, like, that was probably why. Yeah. But I don't know. 17-year-old boys have a 17-year-old boy look unless you're Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> like, there's there's only yeah. one exception to this rule, and it is The Rock. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Who would you cast in the movie? Tell us. Write in. Yeah. We would really like to know that. Speaking of writing in. Yeah. I think we may have... A mailbag moment. <gasps> a mailbag I've never made you sing it before. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you seem very Isn't unprepared. <laughs> Isn't it fun? Are you so glad this is happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. So this mailbag moment, this heart fart, if you will, comes from fan of the show, Haley. Haley! And you want to talk about being old. The subject line of this is shark boy voice. Dream, 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 dream. <laughs> I've never seen shark and boy I, love a girl. I don't know. I'm I don't, so sorry. I'm so sorry, Taylor Lautner. I don't know. I'm, I don't I'm know. Sorry, Haley. Oh, I'm a, we're already disappoint, disappointing you. Okay. Sorry. And full disclosure, Emma and I have read this before. Yes. This, this was, was sent to the pod chat. To the, to the reaction chat. But it was so good that we were like, hey, could you like edit it and send it in? Because <laughs> the world deserves to hear the this. The world deserves it. Uh, so this is from Haley. I had a dream that Shannon and I were married with three kids. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream. Three boys, two girls, all adopted. Thank goodness. Yeah. Ruth and Emma were their godmoms. Yay. Of course. We owned this huge Victorian house that became like a paranormal investigator hotspot and bed and breakfast. Uh, I mean, it, they, they have to go hand in hand. I think the BBC show Ghosts influenced this. Yeah. Is it BBC? Well, there's B- there's the British version and there's the Okay. British I was version. like, I'm missing it on CBS. Anyways, Shannon would guide the ghost tour and I'd manage the B&B guests. I, I like mean, it. Okay. I'm into it. In the dream, Shannon was out for the night with Emma, leaving me in charge of all aspects. I tried to do the ghost tour, but kept flubbing the whole spiel as I couldn't remember which details went to which ghost. I panicked and ended up saying a moaning Myrtle-esque story on the bathroom stop of the tour. (laughs) Of course, the guests caught on, leading everyone to think it was all a hoax, and and they all stormed out. Oh, no. Our business will never recover, (laughs) except for this one guy. Who looks like Reginald Hargreaves from the Umbrella Academy. Okay. Which I haven't watched. I haven't either. I'm so sorry. We're disappointing I'm you so, again. I'm so sorry. Elliot Page is super fine, though, for the record. Uh, no offense to my dream spouse. Um, sorry, Haley. <laughs> so sorry, Haley. Um, we're just disappointing you left and right. <laughs> that's me. He complimented the house and told me what lovely children we had. Then he leaned in and was like, I can see them, too. Which had me like, 
and he revealed that our kids were all ghosts. Dun, dun, dun. And the reason we could interact with them in a corporeal sense was because of the emotional connection we shared. Oh, that's kind of sweet. Have you ever been such a good mom that you <laughs> that you made your ghost made, kids corporeal? Yeah, like, <laughs> come at me, Instagram moms, um, momfluencers. <laughs> The reason he could see them was because he had this magic eye made from wood from the original house door and a drop of blood from the original owner, thus connecting him to the spectral plane of the house. Ew. Anyways, I called up Ruth to ask about the kids being ghosts, and Ruth was like, oh yeah, I thought you knew, but I didn't want to talk about it. Shrag! <laughs> After that, I waited for Shannon and Emma to come home, just like, and it's the upside down emoji, like... Like the upside down face? Yeah, just like, yeah. I just waited, like, hmm. Shannon and I got Emma situated in a guest room, put the kids to bed, and immediately returned to our room. Immediately, I asked Shannon how long she knew that the kids were ghosts. Turns out, she and Emma got drunk one night and decided to summon more ghosts to make the place even more haunted for business and to attract Zach Bagans. They All they summoned were the kids, and Shannon, in secret, built up a relationship to where she could physically interact with them, and then she introduced them to me. Other than that, Shannon was an absolutely love, lovely wife in the dream. Lol. That's it. No sign off. <laughs> Turns out, all, all I ever wanted was to attract Zach Bagans to the Have you ever wanted house? to meet a deranged ghost hunter man child so much that you get your friend wife drunk to make her summon children ghosts? But then, then she has to befriend and mother so that then they can meet their new adoptive parent. I am I am making everyone do all of the work for me. Yeah, and so like that I can the fact that Zach you're Bagans. not even living in the B and B, you're just visiting no, us. I'm just visiting, I'm just at the B and B. I have I have a room. Summon have... your own ghost children, Emma. I can't. Apparently, it needs to be in a loving relationship, which in the dream in a I haunted house. I mean, think so many things are are would not happen in that dream. Uh, me owning a haunted house, being the never head of the ghost tour. No, I mean that would be a fun job. Yeah, if it were fake, I think. Yeah, I think you would have to like you, kitschy. Yeah, fake ghost tour. You would be okay if it were like this is the script and it's all silly. Like ghost it's a films. very like. Oink. Like you bring your, it's like a roadside attraction where like, woo, it's good, it's haunted. And then when they, like sort of like Winchester Mystery House, when yeah. like you ask them directly, they're like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> but Haley, uh, other than that, I love our dream life. Yeah, it sounds uh, great. I hope other our than, ghost children yeah, are okay. The ghosts. Um, if they're ghosts, hopefully they don't have to go to college because I don't think we can afford that in this economy. Whew. I also don't think they're ever going to grow up. So have oh my fun gosh. having seven-year-olds forever. I, I gotta she go. Just stared into the, I, into the void I, like, I, oh god. I, I was telling them to go to their room. <laughs> and they walked straight through the wall. Uh, oh man. Um, anyway, thanks for sending that in. We'd love to hear all your thoughts. Always. If, okay, here's a funny thing that I thought of. Oh. If you know us in real life and you are actively listening to the show in like semi real time. Or even if you're not, it'll be more hilarious if you listen to this, like, five months after the fact. If you know us in real life, when you listen to this episode, I would like you to text one or both of us your favorite vegetable. 
No context. Just, like, drop it. Because I guarantee that I at least will forget this bit. Emma will probably remember because she listened through multiple times to edit the podcast. I do not. (laughs) So I'm just going to be like, zucchini? Question mark? Question mark? (laughs) Oh, and bonus points uh, if you can find an emoji for it. Yeah. I just think that would be funny. Although be careful sending eggplants, please. Is eggplant anyone's actual favorite vegetable? I really like eggplant when it's like rolled in breadcrumbs and like deep fried. So eggplant parm. It's so good. Name another way to make eggplant. Oh, like a like that a, and baba ganoush. Oh, eggplant parm and baba ganoush. Okay. What else? I bet Jenna will have ideas. She's vegan. I really enjoy the texture, which is weird because I'm a texture person, and it feels kind of like usually it's slimy. Oh. But if you cook it well, it that's, doesn't. That's one of those things we were talking at dinner last night. Of how I just need people to make me things and like blindfold the like blindfold me and don't tell me what don't it is it, and yeah. just like feed it to me because like I couldn't identify a time in my life that I've eaten eggplant. It's one of those things that from whatever point when I was a child, I just mentally have decided I don't like that, yeah. so I'm never gonna order it or like buy it at the You're store like, well, to I know make I'm it. Not gonna eat it, so I might as well not use it. But like it. I could maybe love it. I don't know. Maybe that's your challenge for 2023. I don't want to waste money on food I don't like. That's fair. Maybe that's my challenge in 2023 is to give you food that I enjoy. Yeah, like if we go out and you get eggplant parm, I'll eat a bite. I mean, go anyway. go enjoy something you don't know if you're going to enjoy. Try something new. Try something new and text us your favorite vegetable. Yeah, and if that happens to be eggplant, also please feel free to send a recipe. <laughs> and until next time, remember... This podcast doesn't exist. I cannot think of another dish that has eggplant. I really just want fried eggplant. I want fried everything. Well, it is dinner time, so you I'm could... very hungry. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye.